Welcome back to Emmaism, a philosophy podcast for students of philosophy, because that really is what we all are, seekers of knowledge. Happy Friday, and once again, it's time to philosophize. Today marks a very important day in Emmaism history. Um, this podcast is my 50th episode. Um, this is kind of crazy. It's a great milestone to me because when I started this podcast, I was in my very first semester of my college experience. Um, I wasn't even a declared philosophy major yet, and I started this personal project of mine um, to get others involved in and to interact with philosophy since it truly was just a mere conversation that got me to love this discipline. Um, And now I'm a declared philosophy major at the University of Pennsylvania, living my first semester dreams. I get to go to philosophy class every day, think about big questions, and engage in substantial discussions about ethics, human nature, religion, and truth. Um, This alone is just really great to reflect on. And this podcast, we've we've grown from five unique listeners on the first three episodes to 960 listeners as of me recording this episode. Um, Each episode gets about 30 hits, and it's just, it's so great to see the... um, the interactions with it. So thanks all for listening, and I really couldn't have done this much without you. Today, I'm going to pitch my why philosophy spiel. This will also probably be a shorter podcast, just because I have Kant's groundwork sitting next to me for reading soon, and we all know how long it takes to read Kant. Anyways, let's get into it. Before my first philosophy class, I didn't really want to face the hardest questions about life. I tended to avert even being in a situation where I might be thinking about these questions, um, but after reading Bell Hooks's Critical Thinking, Plato's Apology, and you know, just even the Extended Mind Thesis, which is what really got me going, I knew that there was something more behind the questions of whether we exist or not, or if there's a God, or whether we actually have moral obligations. I now actually seek to find out fundamental truths about myself and the world around me. Um, you know, philosophy op- offers three things, as Pierre Hedo says. Um, cosmological consciousness, therapy, and freedom. Um, I actually like to ask questions about truth, God, knowledge, the will, and what we genuinely know. Philosophy has equipped me with the tools to even begin answering these questions. That being said, you know, questions like what is knowledge or what kind of moral obligations to whom we hold are questions that I don't think any human can ask and answer in a lifetime, or even questions that humanity will ever know. But that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. I got so motivated to start on my journey of asking these questions and uh, commencing to answer them. I want to know what truth is, and I want to embark on a journey with others too, who want to know what truth is as well. And that's where you guys come in. What is the pursuit of knowledge without feller seekers of knowledge? Well, it'd be one very lonely journey. Philosophy is a great space too in this way to work on building a community of thinkers. It doesn't take much to, you know, um, prompt someone to think. And um, what also really like got me invested in my philosophical project is um, the fact that on one of my first philosophy essays, I didn't get a great grade. I was kind of upset and I was told that I wasn't formulating my argument in the best way possible. So I embarked on a journey to ask other people questions and um, really find my way to finding my niche in philosophy, finding how I can argue in the best way possible. And so, you know, philosophy is just a a small almost community of thinkers it doesn't even have to be a like-minded community even too um for instance 
being in a classroom discussion where you talk about controversial questions and everyone's on different sides and you have genuine debate that's supported by incredible stacks of literature, that is an incredible opportunity. It's a mini agora. Um, People often ask me why I chose philosophy as my major or more commonly here, why I switched out of business. And this is an interesting question, but I've thought about it a lot. And so I've reflected on the fact that the undergraduate experience is a once in a lifetime opportunity. You are able to be nothing but a full-time student. Rather, I have the luxury of being nothing but a full-time student and I'm able to devote my time to my studies and I'm able to relate with my peers on material that I've learned in class with them. So it's just, it's something that can't be replicated outside of the undergraduate experience. While I absolutely enjoyed the conversation I had in business classrooms and found a great interest in it, I found something different with philosophy and especially analytic philosophy. Business classes were full of conversation based on technical knowledge and things that had definite answers. We talked about why accountants who use accrual, accounting, credit, and debit accounts at certain times in certain ways, and why the cash basis accountants do it, um, you know, not the way we learn in class. And, you know, there's a reason for that. And all of the, that is super interesting. And I do like it. However, philosophy is a different environment where you ask really hard questions about hard parts of life. And you might not get a definite answer. You're just going to try and, you know, like, commence in that way to get closer to the answer. There aren't really any concrete answers out there because there are thousands of years of writing on these questions and everyone has different opinions. Um, All you have to do, though, regardless of your conviction, what I love about analytic philosophy is argue for it. That's what I really like, arguing. I'm just kidding. I really just like the logic emphasis and the ways philosophy teaches me to defend my arguments. It's taught me to be charitable and analytic. These are things that technical courses don't necessarily teach you. Another thing that philosophy offers is an approach to any kind of field of study. I know how to approach a math problem that I don't know how to solve. I would first write down what I do know and think of plausible extensions from those laws. From there, presumably... I would know the steps until the end by virtue of exhausting my options. Finally, I'd look at my answer and method to get there and see if there were any plausible objections to my steps. It's the way you're taught, but it's not the way we are used to be reasoning in an academic and professional context. But it's the way that's taught by philosophy, which I think is just very fruitful and extremely applicable. Now, this is the same sort of method for analyzing a philosophical argument especially one reconstructed in the analytic tradition. We write our arguments in premise to conclusion form in a very clear way so that we know two things for sure. We know that one, we know what we're writing ourselves and that we know that two, other people know what we're talking about. And those are two really important things for a successful philosopher. Um, You know, I, I guess in saying this, my mind goes to Kant and I say, well, Kant, he... He, in his second, I guess, rendition, you know, reapplication of the groundwork, he says, I wish I could have given more examples. I wish I could have written more so that you could read less. Because when it's easy to read, you read less and you understand it better. But it's notoriously hard to read Kant because he, we don't really know what he's talking about. Um, so, that, you know, Kant is a, a Western philosopher. He's a continental philosopher, not really an analytic um, philosopher, but if he had, you know, been in this day and age, you know, perhaps he would have 
written in promise conclusion form and we could, you know, all be Kantian experts. Um, But, you know, philosophers are notoriously bad writers, not just Kant. And the fact that philosophers are trying to change that is also inspiring. That's the modern, like, twist on it. Philosophy is a dynamic discipline, and it's, it's a very special discipline at that. It is also the only discipline that questions the foundation of itself. That's one of the things I love most about philosophy, that it is question-based, and it's not afraid to shake up or, well, you know, give its foundation a run for its money. It's important to ask questions about why we're asking these kind of questions, and people don't really like to be challenged in that self, like, you know, I guess that self-critical manner, um, but philosophy does so. So, Again, I'll say, if anything, philosophy has taught me how to argue and how to be charitable. Two sides of the same coin. So it's kind of a substantial quality of philosophy that it teaches some non-technical skills that are still so applicable to the professional world. When I think of my why philosophy, I also think about how I use it in my daily life. I know that you all probably think I'm just out here saying that I actually use these abstract concepts in real life, but I really do, and I, I truly mean that. Um... I'm employing the categorical imperative here. I'm telling the truth and I universalize it. So everyone in this world is telling the truth. I can, I can conceive of this world where it'd be true and, you know, that's what I would like. So I'm telling the truth here. As Pierre Hadot once said, a true philosopher must do philosophy as a way of life. And for instance, the other week, I woke up at 7.30 a.m. for my ethics recitation as I do every Thursday. Um, how timely for a moral dilemma to pop up right before ethics recitation. And... Also, that week in ethics, we had read Peter Singer's Famine, Affluence, Morality, which, for those of you who don't know, it's a very famous paper arguing for certain moral obligations to those in severe poverty. But overall, in the paper, Singer talked about our moral obligations, what we ought to do in a moral sense. And so, on this early Thursday morning, I got up and I started to get ready for the day. When I was putting on my watch, my roommate's alarm went off. She didn't get up. It seemed like she couldn't hear it, but I reasoned that she might have heard it and just is laying down for a few seconds before she taps it off and gets up. So I go in the living room and I sit down. Still, faintly, I can hear her alarm. And I'm thinking, oh shoot, I think she doesn't hear her alarm. And I sat there and I thought. I thought to Peter Singer and I asked myself, do I have a moral obligation to wake her up? You know, my mind went to Peter Singer. He holds in famine, affluence, morality that we have a moral obligation to do something good when doing that thing would not be at the cost of sacrificing something of comparable moral significance. In order to wake my roommate up, which would be a thing that would increase her well-being since I know she had an important meeting, you know, early that morning, I, I wouldn't have to sacrifice anything of comparable moral significance. At most, I'd sacrifice one minute of my time. But I established that, indeed, I probably had a moral duty to wake her up. And even if I didn't, waking her up would be the right thing to do. And I actually had a funny conversation with her afterwards, though. She thanked me for waking her up. And I was telling her that, oh, there's no need to thank me because it was my moral obligation to wake her up. And she looked at me, legitimately puzzled. She told me that I didn't have an obligation to do that. And then I asked her if she would have done the same for me. And here's the kicker. She said, eh, I don't know. It depends. I'd have to think about it, but probably I would. So right there, ethics, incredibly applicable. Um, as I, and I philosophized my way into assigning myself an obligation because of the work I read on Peter Singer. 
philosophy not only helps you get the answers to hard moral questions, but it also helps give you the answers to how you ought to act in the moment. So it's, it's a, a problem solver, but it also gives you the method to solve the problem. Um, another example that sticks out to me is one that relates to Kantian ethics and the categorical imperative. So in Kant's Groundwork Parts 1 and 2, Kant establishes that someone has a good will when they do something good for the right reasons. And when I reflect on that piece of knowledge and relate it to my own experience, I'm also somewhat guided into thinking that the categorical imperative must have some truth to it. And I think about sometimes I do the right thing for the wrong reasons. And even though I did the right thing, it actually wasn't a right action as so far as I did not do it for the right reasons. I didn't have the right motivations for it. So when I was thinking of an example of this, I thought back to high school and in one of my classes, my classmates would talk about our answers to the reading problem set. And I often did my packet a day earlier than it was due. So naturally, people would ask me questions um, about what, what they were stumped on. And I gave them the advice they needed. But I didn't do so because it was the right thing to do. I didn't do it out of beneficence either. I did it because I thought I would get a return on it in the future. I did it because I didn't want to be excluded from the friend group within that class. Now, that's just an interesting thing to think about when you perform certain actions. What are your motivations behind the actions, and does that make it a right action? Um, for instance, when I now think of you know performing some action, I think about why I'm doing it. Am I doing the right thing for the right reason? If not, how can I orient myself so that I am? Um, anyways, all in all, I just wanted to give you a look into my use of philosophy in everyday life. My, my why philosophy is purely out of deep passion for the field and motivation for inspiring others to philosophize. Philosophy means so much more to me than my major because it's something that I, you know, want to do for my entire life, um, whether it be just apply, I mean, not just, but applying the skills in a professional career or being an academic, you know, I can, I can see both pathways. Um, but you know, I, it's, it's just, it's very, very interesting. And I'm glad I have this venue, this podcast to, to philosophize on with you guys. So we are all in the pursuit of knowledge together. Um, Life is just so much more active when you start to consider the big questions like what we ought to do, who we have obligations toward, and what truly matters. Again, this is the foundation of my podcast, to figure out with a group of others what is true and how we can apply trans-historical knowledge to modern discussions. So I just want to extend one more big thank you to my subscribers, listeners, and supporters. Thank you for helping me hit 50 episodes and continuing to listen weekly to my philosophy and I guess practice philosophy yourself. It's really amazing that we can create this community of thinkers and keep it growing. That's all I have for today's episode of Emmaism. Thank you for listening and until next time, keep searching for the truth.